You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. And so we're continuing on in our Little Books series. We're going to take two weeks for this entire book of Philemon, because it's a big one. It's just one page. Um, it's right after Titus, which we had uh, preached on, and it's right before Hebrews. And so it's at the very end of your, end of your Bibles, if you were curious about that. It's a whole page, which is pretty common. Uh, be more common for letters to be a page. Um, so Paul wrote this letter to a guy named Philemon. Paul is an apostle. He wrote uh, lots of letters in the New Testament, uh, and he is attributed with such great things that he did to help explode the kingdom of God. God worked through him. Paul was not a believer at the beginning. He was, he was a card-carrying uh, Jew, and he was happy to be able to hold people's coats while, while Stephen was getting stoned because he was a Christian. And Paul had this massive change in his life on the road to Damascus where God said, well, he called him Saul originally, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I guess he didn't have a good answer, so he blinded him. No. Uh, and that's who wrote this book is Paul. And so he's credited with a bunch of our New Testament. And so there's different characters in this book, and I want to focus on, uh, on them at different times over the next two weeks here. But uh, there's couple characters. There's The book is named Philemon because it's a letter written to this guy named Philemon. So let's put Philemon over here. Philemon is a believer. He lives in Colossae, and he is a pretty wealthy guy. There is a church in his own house, so he must have an okay-sized house because they would do that. He has a church in his house, and there's thoughts about, like, he's like, hey, prepare a room for me. So he has many rooms. If you would go back to the uh, first century Christians, like, there would be, like, like, probably from Juan to Dennis, like all of us would live in an area together, probably about as big as these chairs. Very small houses, maybe an upstairs, downstairs, but you, there's not a lot of personal space. And so he must have had a house big enough to have a house church there, which is that. So you have Philemon. Philemon is a Roman, and he's also a slave owner. And that would be pretty common, and we'll talk more about that next week, a little bit to that today. So here you have Philemon over here, okay? One character. Paul, the writer, and then we have uh, Onesimus, or Onesimus, as one of my sermon club members likes to call it, uh, Onesimus. And uh, Onesimus uh, is a runaway slave. And so somehow Onesimus and Paul got connected, and this letter uh, is about this relationship between uh, Philemon, the slave owner, the Christian believer, and Onesimus, the runaway slave who became a Christian believer, and you have these kind of these plays back and forth. So slavery in the uh, first, uh, during the first century um, is different than what we would think about it in regards to uh, being race-driven. You became a slave uh, when Rome conquered you. You could either die or you were killed or you could become a slave. And I know when I was in uh, Israel and kind of in that area, you see all these things that are built. You're like, wow, that is amazing. How did they do all this? How did, you know, the Rome, this road and the Colosseum, you can go to Rome and the Colosseums. Like, how did they do all this? Amaz- yeah, you got, you know, 100,000 people that have to do what you say. They're going to die. You're going to get some stuff done. Right? And so uh, if you lost to Rome, you became subject to them and you, uh, you could be, uh, you're a spoil of war. And it didn't matter if you were a Greek doctor it didn't matter uh, what color skin you had. You lost. You were a slave or dead. So approximately like half of the Roman Empire at, at any given time could have been uh, slaves. And so they could get some stuff done. Slaves are pretty valuable. 
Uh, the cost of, of a slave, a good working slave in today's world, uh, would be fifteen to forty thousand dollars. So losing one, it'd be like losing your car. How many people have a car that's worth less than forty thousand? One of mine is. My Subaru is not. Point to my Subaru guy. No. Um, but uh, so when you think about uh, uh, you know losing a car would be kind of a bummer, wouldn't it? Especially if it was one of your nicer cars, and you didn't have insurance to replace it. The text talks more about slavery, and we won't get into that this week, but the text talks about Paul specifically speaks to it in Ephesians and Colossians, and he has some instructions for slaves, and he has instructions for slave owners. We'll get to that next week. But today I want to focus on Paul. And what's interesting about this letter, if you take a look at this map with me, is this letter had to travel a long ways. Now, see the uh, Aegean Sea up there? Aegean Sea up there? Rome is like back up here in the black, way up here. And the idea is that Paul wrote uh, Colossians, Ephesians, and possibly this letter while he was a prisoner, and they believed to be, most scholars would say he was in Rome. And so a big issue, like the letters, writing the letters weren't as hard as getting them delivered because you have some some distance to go. So to go from Rome, you would cruise across Rome, and you'd have to cross the sea, and then you cruise across uh, Greece, and then you have to cross the sea, and you get get to Ephesus somehow. And then once you got to Ephesus, it was easy because it's just 120 miles to where this letter needs to get delivered in Colossae over here. And guess what you're doing? Hill towing it, trying not to get killed, and you're delivering these letters that we still hold today. One of the uh, guys that I had been uh, researching and listened to said, in Paul's days, it was perhaps more difficult to get letters delivered than to write them. It was a long, weary journey from Rome to Colossae, across Italy, and then to Greece, and across Greece, and then by sea to Ephesus, and then through all the upland valley to where Colossae is, uh, near the town, neighboring towns of Laodicea and uh, Heropolis. Uh, Heropolis is that picture. If you guys remember, there was the Cotton Candy Castle. It has all of this white uh, just super, super bright. But they have those, those, uh, that area right there, that kind of triangle. You can see, uh, when I was in Turkey from Colossae, you could see Heropolis. And so this is where this letter had to go. Now let's take a look at this letter. I'm going to jump in and out of this letter to Philemon. But remember, today I want to try and look at it through Paul's eyes, right? Uh, where, did I put, where did I put Philemon? Over here? Okay, when I'm doing Philemon's reaction, because I didn't grab anybody out of the audience and make you do this, you'll know I'm talking about Philemon. And when I do Onesimus's uh, facial reactions, this is Onesimus over here. Get it? No. Okay. All right, let's, let's go into God's Word together. Uh, book of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That's an interesting introduction. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. How come he's not a prisoner of Rome? How come he's not a prisoner of Nero? He identifies himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that Jesus Christ is the one that he is chained to, the one that he is serving. I just found it interesting. And Timothy, our brother, who got to be a prisoner of Christ Jesus as well. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Our dear friend and fellow worker. Also, to Afia, our sister, who a lot of people believe was his wife. And to Archippus, our fellow soldier. Some people believe it's his son or somebody that's very important and influential to Philemon. And to the church that meets in your home. Okay, pause. 
Letter comes. It has a messenger who's delivering this letter, and that person is going to read it and make sure that the people that, that need to hear it are there. So here we are. Philemon's like, oh, hey, oh, a letter from Paul? Yeah, who do you need? Oh, yeah, I want the whole church. So let's say it was our house church of 30 people. I want the whole church there. Who else needs to be there? Oh, oh yeah, your Afia and uh, your, son, your son. Okay, let's get everybody around because there's a really important letter coming from Paul. Okay? So we're all going to listen to this together. Philemon says, in Josh's world, uh, you know, to the church, and this is to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Oh, Paul. <laughs> I mean, that's so great that you're praying for me, Paul. Thank you. Thank you, said Philemon in Josh's head. You know, because I hear about your love for all of his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. <laughs> Paul said it. I didn't. Obviously, my love for all of you guys is so great. I mean, look at me. This letter's getting this is such a great letter. I'm so glad you guys are here to hear it. And Josh has said, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Yes, yes. I, I mean, you know, Paul said it. We're partners. Kind of, kind of a big deal here. I mean, the church does meet in my house. Kind of a big deal, huh? says Josh. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Obviously, my love, wait, I mean, that's a good move. My love and encouragement just refreshes you all, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I'm so glad that Paul is able to hear about this and recognize this from where he is. And here we are now. So good. So good. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, brother. Anything else you want to say nice about me? Therefore, all right, we've done this before, but I'm going to go back for people that are new. Anytime you see a therefore in, a bi- in the Bible, you have to ask, what's it there for? Why did they say that? Because I said all of these things about you, Paul, Paul or uh, Philemon, because I said all these things about you, that your love uh, for all your people is amazing and that we are partners and uh, your love has given me great joy and refreshment. Because of all of those things, Philemon, yes, yes. Because of all those things. Therefore, although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. Philemon's like, this, this turned, this turned from something. Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love because you have such great love. It is None other than Paul, an old man, now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. Hi, Philemon. Yeah, I was a slave that ran away, and usually you would crucify me and put me to death for returning um, because you need to make an example of me so your other slaves don't run away and steal stuff from you. But hi, I'm here. Good to see you. 
Um, oh, by the way, Paul called me his son. Formerly, he was useless to you. Apparently not a great slave. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now, he has become useful both to you and to me. Oh, good. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him because he's so awesome so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains, if you forgot that, for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. So that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Now, the whole church is like, hmm, slave returns. We know what happens here. Oh, Paul, interesting. You're giving us a different idea of what to do uh, possibly here. And everybody's looking at, at Philemon, who was just gallivanting so beautifully, right, as Paul was talking about him. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer a slave. Everybody go, oh, do this. Get here. Oh, go, oh. One, two, three. Oh. Okay, that's the church. He's not going to be a slave anymore? You're asking him to not be a slave anymore? Oh, my gosh. No longer a slave, but better than a slave. Onesimus is like, I'm better than a slave. Don't kill me. I'm better than a slave. Let's not kill me. But as a dear brother, he is very dear to me. Paul says of Onesimus, oh, he's so dear to me. But even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and a brother in the Lord. One, two, three. He's a brother in the Lord now. He was a slave and now he's a brother in the Lord. Paul's considering him his son. Oh boy, what is Philemon going to do with this one? He's in a predicament. So, if you consider me a partner, I mean, I don't know, I'm just Paul. No big deal. Welcome him as you would welcome me. We are losing momentum here. <laughs> That's a shocker. He just asked Philemon, the slave owner, to welcome him as a brother just as he would welcome Paul. You know what he would do if Paul, if he knew Paul was coming? He'd get things ready. He'd be ready to roll. Paul's a big deal. He's a guest of honor. So, <gasps> okay, we're getting better, kind of. This is audience participation. If he has done you any wrong, or if he owes you anything, charge it to me. This is starting to sound a lot like Jesus' relationship with us. Like he's following Jesus Christ 
in laying down his life for a man. I, I, Paul, am writing this. Remember when I said I was old? Yeah, I, Paul, am writing this with my very own hand. I'll pay it back because I'm in prison and I have lots of money. I'm sure. Not to mention, you know, you do owe me your very self. But I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. I'm confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing, actually, that you will do even more than I ask. Oh, what more could he do besides not kill him? What more could he do but call him a brother? Oh, and one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me. Because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers because you were praying for me to come back. In case that's not enough, let me drop some names for you of who else might be aware of this letter. Epiphras. You know, the one uh, that in the letters of Colossians, Epiphras is the one who brought the gospel to the Colossians at their church, which maybe is where he got saved. Oh, that guy? My fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus? Yeah, he says hi. He's aware of what I'm asking you. Oh, and that one guy named Mark? And uh, uh, Aristarchus? Demas? Oh, and that Luke guy, the doctor guy? Yeah, he also sends his greetings and says hello from my fellow workers. Okay. The grace of the Lord in Jesus Christ be with your spirit. All right. Well, what does Philemon do with this? What is Paul trying to say? Remember a couple weeks ago I said, as I'm reading the text, there's a couple things I'm asking the Lord. What do you want me to know? Man, my sermons are bad. We can't even remember these, huh? What do you want me to know? And what do you want me to do? Our faith is full of Knowledge and learning and action with our feet. Because our faith is what without action? I'm dead faith. What are we doing? We're just fans of Jesus? Just think it's a good idea? But we're not going to actually do what he's asking us to do? So what do you want me to know and what do you want me to do? And what I noticed here is, is look how Paul intercedes for his fellow brother in Christ Jesus. Is there anyone else who has interceded to someone in a position of power for you and I. Did Jesus Christ possibly intercede for us on the cross for all of us for eternity? Paul pleads for something different than what the world thinks Onesimus deserves. You know what the world thinks Onesimus deserves? Death. And I like to kill slaves who run away by crucifixion so everybody will know that you don't run away because I can't build the Roman Empire without slaves. So the Roman world, the world thinks this, but I want you to think this. Rome versus Christ. Rome versus Christ. I don't know if we have any Rome in our world. 
where we have to look at what the world thinks, but we have to possibly do this. And only you would know what this is as you study God's word and his Holy Spirit is inside of you to look different than the rest of the world. Paul says be different. Look different in front of your church, in front of your people. Show the mercy that was shown to you. Now Paul is spending something in this letter. And we debated in our sermon club of what to call this, uh, this thing that was being spent. But there's something that's being spent in this letter. And you can call it relational points, or you could call it, in the Western mind, we turn it into like relational capital is what I had started out with. Goody points, these great points. But he's really spending the trust that he's built. He's trusting that Onesimus will be moved by God's spirit, be moved by this letter to do the right thing and show the rest of the world what it looks like to reconcile even when it's not fair for, for everyone. Because he wants believers to reconcile. How many people in here would love to be at a church where we make mistakes and step on each other's toes, but we, we fight for a relationship and we come back and we talk about it, we don't just disperse and leave? How many people would like that to be like that in your own family? How many people have family relationships that are tore up and horrible because people won't make amends? Like you haven't talked to, like there's that uncle, yeah, he, we don't even talk to him. You know, I was thinking about this as I was putting this together, I had watched this sermon, or this sermon series, very close to a sermon series, it was on the History Channel, um, the Hatfield and, Hatfield and McCoys. And I was doing a little homework on this. And I think the purpose of Philemon that Paul is putting out there is about making amends. About being willing to make amends because when you don't make amends, you don't make things right to the best of your ability, it leads to destructions. Destruction. The Hatfields and McCoy were arguing, when I researched a little bit, over these pigs. There was a, a couple of hogs, and one of them they thought had the, the McCoy or Hatfield earmark on it, and this person took it and it went to court. And you know what it led to? 60 murders between those two families because they couldn't make amends over two stupid hogs. When I say Hatfield, do you guys think McCoy? You know history here at all? Yeah, and what do you think? You think feud and people that are mad at each other and all those things because they wouldn't make amends. And I wonder what Hatfield and McCoys you have in your own life. It may not be so big that somebody's going to get murdered, but where is it in your life that you haven't made amends? What are you holding on to real tight that Paul would directly tell you to let go of? See, he, Paul has the right to be heard. He's sacrificed and he's now asking Philemon to do the same thing. And we all need to be building relationships and trust. All of us are spending, if there were some magical points out of our trust account. And sometimes with your spouse, you know when you overspent. Many of you in this church, in, the, in this building are trusting the church. Which is hard to do. Especially if you've been burnt in a church before. And I hope you know, like, this church is never intentionally trying to mess things up. It's just the gifting I have. Well, we try and make it right. As, long, as far as it is us, we try and make it right. You guys are trusting 
a church with resources, with education, with outreach. You're trusting the people who we send to, to rehab. You're trusting the people that, that we hire, that, that we're doing a good job in that. You're trusting about the squishy park rebuild uh, that we're trying to do. And I'm getting impatient on, but we have some designer stuff that we're finishing up that I'd love to show you soon. I spent some relational capital with you guys asking you to give to a squishy park for the purpose of advancing the kingdom to have more young families near the church. And I highly value the trust that you have put into me into this church. And that's why a church should lead the way in making amends. That's why God's people should lead the way in making amends because there's something special that happens when people start to make amends. It crowds out where the devil likes to sit and play. Remember when that person did that to you that one time and that you're still hanging on to that they forgot about? Paul is pleading for us to make amends. And it all starts with us being compelled to do the right thing. Paul is compelling Philemon and Onesimus to make amends. So is there anything out in your life that you're supposed to make right just hanging out there? It's just hanging out there. Let me talk to you about uh, something that happens in our restoration night. Uh, one of the classes that our restoration night offers is what's called a step study. And I got the privilege of being in a step study with Mike Hall and a couple of my other brothers in here. And uh, the step study is really great. It depends on how much effort you put into it. It's just six months. So let's, let's, clear, the, let's clear the floor here. It's just six months. Your pastor went through it because I had it all figured out. I was auditing it. No, I was auditing myself. God was auditing me. And this is little things like the first part was stepping out of denial into God's grace. If you need to. Taking an honest and spiritual inventory. I mean, if you need to. Getting right with God, yourself, and others. I mean, it's kind of biblical. Growing in Christ while helping others. But I want to focus on this session number three. And uh, one of the principles in this is uh, on page 40 here. And it's about making amends. Principle six, evaluate all of your relationships. How many of them? Just all of them. Okay, so this is what I did. Offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they might be dead. And you got to write it on a piece of paper and you got to read it and you got to throw it into a fire because they can't, they can't say, you know, I forgive you. Or the people that you've hurt, maybe they're already gone. And make amends for the harm I've done to others except when it would harm others to do so. So this idea of making amends, of having this clear conscience of doing things the right way to seek into the heart of, of what it looks like to walk free. How many people like walking with like an extra 40 or 50 pounds? That's what I'm doing. Um, no, uh, I'll be thinning. You guys can hold me accountable. I'll be thinning over the next several, several months. Um, but walking with baggage, stuff that's heavy, stuff that keeps you up at night, stuff that keeps messing you up. See, God does not design you to walk with baggage. He designed you to walk in the freedom of Christ Jesus. Amen? That's an amener, if there ever was one. You were designed to walk in the freedom of Christ Jesus. 
When you make amends, it begins the process of looking at people through the eyes of Jesus. It's so hard too sometimes. I, like to, I want to hold on to that offense. I, want to, I got a death grip on that offense. And really what happens is that offense has a death grip on me. And when you start looking at others through the eyes of Jesus, you're doing your part. And that's what Paul is trying to teach us in this letter. Look at Onesimus through Christ's eyes. Look at him as a brother. Look at him not as a slave, not as your servant, but as a partner, as a co-laborer. The same way that Christ looks at you and I. Make amends. It's so simple. And you can do it. It would solve so much heartache in your own life and heartache in the whole world to choose to make amends. So if you haven't connected into one of those studies uh, when our next uh, restoration night kicks off, I would, if I could just, I would love every single person to go through a SEP study. It would change our church. It would drastically change our church if we were willing to do the hard work of going through a step study. It changed me. So, you ever heard of uh, uh, Jesus called the Prince of Peace? You know why? Because that's what he desires. He desires peace. He desires shalom for the kingdom of God. And the way that we get through the Prince of, to, to the Prince of Peace, part of that process is making amends and not living with that. And so today we're going to be able to make amends with our, all of the stuff that's gone on this last week through communion. And so if you somehow missed that communion table, if you didn't bump into it or run into it along the way, and if you haven't already done the pre-opening like I do so I don't fumble with it, uh, we're going to take communion together as a family in memory of the Prince of Peace. And I'm challenging every one of you in here this week, figure out what amends you want to start making. And if you need help about how to make amends, contact myself or Sherry or Mike or any of our restoration guys or our pastoral staff. We'll help you. There's a right way to do that. There's some amends you can be making right now. And there's other ones that you, might, you need some help with. How do I do this? How do I overcome? How do I overcome an abusive father? Somebody who's supposed to love me and care for me and take care of, take care of me. And, and they didn't. How do I overcome an, an, an abandoned mom who abandoned me? What do I do? How do I overcome a spouse that left me? What do I do? Because making amends with those things might be different than you stole little Johnny's apple in third grade. But still it's important to get a clear purpose of what peace could look like in your life through the Prince of Peace and make an amends as part of that. And I believe that's what Paul is pleading for us to do in Philemon. He wants the church to model it so well that the world is curious. So if you would join me today, let me pray. Father God, I just ask for your hand over this whole body, everyone that's here today, everyone that's watching online, that you would reveal to them if there's anything going on in their world where the devil's got a foothold and there's an amends that needs to be made. 
that we would do it humbly, heartfelt, with lots of grace for the purpose of, of reconciliation and the different things that reconciliation looks like, God, I would ask that you would just provide freedom in this room. The way that you are pleading for Philemon to provide freedom to Onesimus. And you had your good servant, Paul, do that in this letter. We ask for that in Jesus' name. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he uh, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke and said, this is my body, which is for you. He sacrificed, like Paul said he would. This is for us. Let's do this in remembrance of our Lord and Savior. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Father, Lord Jesus, we do remember you. We remember your efforts to reconcile. We remember those things, Lord. So we take this. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your beautiful um, preservation of this letter to Philemon and what it has taught me this week and what it will continue to teach me this next week, Lord. Let us be a church that seeks to make amends. Let us be a church that chases reconciliation in a powerful way, Lord, that would be honoring to you, that would be the right thing to do. As you build your kingdom, you're building inside of each one of us Help us to be willing to make amends. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.